The Afterburn Podcast is a proud supporter of Guns Gear Memorial Foundation, helping our veterans and their families when they need it most. To learn more, visit gunsgarin.com slash rain. Want to make a podcast? Let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters, and it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. What's up and thanks for listening in. This is a bonus episode. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. Specifically, we're going to talk with Steven, who is leading the flyover for the Super Bowl. He'll be leading the charge in a P-51. And Lieutenant Colonel Chris McLear, Nike, good friend of mine, who will be part of the ground party. He's the guy that, along with a team, works with the NFL, CBS, and then relaying to the formation all the changes, all the stuff that is going on to try and enable the formation to be over the stadium at home with the Brave. So we're talking to both of them today. Before we get rolling, just a couple quick admin notes. As always, thank you for everyone who's taking the time to drop over to iTunes and leave a rating review that helps the podcast out. Thank you, as always, to my Patreon supporters for helping the podcast grow. If you're looking for some additional content, you can swing over to theafterburnpodcast.com. There's links to Patreon as well as some videos and things of that nature. And if you're a person who happens to like swag, such as stickers and coffee mugs, you can shop Afterburn Podcast gear over at theafterburnpodcast.com. And finally, before we get rolling in, we're going to talk about Beyond Blue Logbooks. I've done advertising for on the podcast. It's one of those things I tend to shy away from. I really want to make sure it's a good fit for the podcast, for you that are listening, and you know the company that wants to do the advertising. Not everything always meshes well. Some companies that I'm a big proponent for, Wingman Watches, great company. B-Jet Clean is another veteran fighter pilot-owned company that makes soap. They donate proceeds to various foundations, one of which being Pyro's Wings, which and we obviously did an episode on Pyro. But today I'm going to talk about Beyond Blue Logbooks a little bit in depth. If you're a pilot, you want to listen to this. If you're not a pilot, you probably can skip ahead for the next 45 to 60 seconds and jump into the episode. But if you're a pilot, so I use Beyond Blue Logbooks when I transitioned out of the military. Because if you're in the military, you realize your flight records are probably a hot mess. Mine were. I just didn't keep a logbook. I relied on the Air Force to do that. But Beyond Blue Logbooks, it's a comprehensive logbook solution for all types of pilots, both military and civilian. Civilians, if you got a mix of handwritten and digital logbooks stashed away somewhere, Beyond Blue, they can consolidate, organize them, and get you ready for your next interview or application. They'll transcribe them, they're accurate, and they're updated throughout your career. It's a great service. Again, I used them, very happy. 
military guys, civilian guys, again, when you're applying to other jobs and other airlines, everyone wants something different. You might not have tracked your night sorties, your cross-country time, or your landings. Beyond Blue Logbooks can fix that and solve that problem for you. It's a veteran-owned company. They get it. They know what the airlines are looking for. They know what aviation companies are looking for. They can square away all your stuff. They're a great team, great company. It worked out for me. Very happy with the product they put out. And if you use the code SENDIT before March 1st, you'll get 10% off your order. Again, you don't have to be ready right now to go to the next phase or next job. And in fact, the time to do it is now. Let Beyond Blue keep your logbooks updated. Let them clean up the mess now so that when the time comes, you're not scrambling and you don't even have to worry about it. So again, swing over to Beyond Blue Logbooks. Check them out. Again, highly recommend it. You won't be disappointed. All right, with that said, let's jump into the episode with Steve and Nike. I I think I'm still thawing out from that experience. Yeah, me too. And I... And I, when I switched to pencils, although I got pens now because my pencil went bad, but I switched <laughs> to pencils after that. I told you that story. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, this should be a little bit better. I mean, what's the, I mean, it's like a record high out there this week, isn't it? It's nice. It's really nice. Yeah. I'm waiting for the big wind and all the dirt to blow, but yeah, yeah. this time of year, it can, it, you know, it can happen right away. What's the weather supposed to be like I, for, I, for Sunday? Is it supposed to be good? It's supposed to be in the, even close to 80 even, but. But there's a chance of some clouds coming in too. But you know, we'll we'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's Southern California, right? It's supposed to be always sunny or high skies. Although when I did Chino, the, I, I remember the the fog bank it rolls in there. Yep. Marine layer they call that. Yeah, just the clouds in the yeah. morning. Things we don't have to worry yeah. about in Georgia. So you know. There you are. <laughs> awesome, Steve. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. I have mentioned your name before, whether you know it or not, but. You are the guy who has forgotten more about aviation than I'll ever know. So I'm, I'm super humbled that, you know, to have you on here today and just talk and share about your experience um, with not only aviation, but we're going to talk about the Super Bowl, Heritage Flight. This is a big year for you. So excited to have you on here. So thanks for joining me. Well, thanks. Thanks for the invite. So with that, you are the man who is leading the flyover this Sunday for the Super Bowl. A little bit of pressure. No pressure. That's what they told me. So, but no, I understand that. And of course you and I were, you know, part of that uh, a few years ago too. And, uh, you know, you just do your job and it is what it is. You know, I think we brief real good. We practice, you know, we'll, uh, we'll do our best. This is a complicated scenario though, as far as I'm concerned, way more complicated than we had in uh, Minneapolis. What, what makes it more complicated than Minneapolis? Well, remember Minneapolis, we, we practiced, uh, couple days before and we were also within line of sight of the stadium and uh, we were able to ad lib as we go but uh, we're going to be called out of the hold over that point doom there in Malibu and we have an attractive fly so you know in your F-16 when you do flybys you you know you get a little behind you could dial up another 100 knots or something but we're going to be stuck we're going to be stuck you know there isn't a lot of speed to play with so um we're going to have to be creative when we brief uh, here tomorrow morning of how, you know, we can, you know, <laughs> I tell the story too. Well, you know, that morning in Minneapolis when we met with uh, the NFL and ABC and FAA and 
and uh, the sports center and everybody there. And they said, uh, we got to be over the stadium at 15, 20 and 50 seconds. <laughs> and, and uh, I just kind of chuckled. And then the guy looked at me and says, no, we're serious. I agree. <laughs> you're serious to the second he goes as close as you can make it so you know better pay more attention here but uh <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of what this is you know we're on a national stage international stage yeah. you know and we're, we're we're representing uh more than just uh you know uh we're representing the air force so this is a lot of pressure on us to make sure we can pull this off but i i'm confident we'll we'll be able to do a good job you bet well you nailed it in minneapolis and I was talking to Nike about this. It's very, I think it's very easy, especially in a modern fighter, relatively speaking, to be where you need to be when you need to be there, right? The, the jet is telling you that information. And obviously, there's variables that, that can pop up that hinder that. But you know, you're flying a P-51. You don't have a heads-up display. You don't have the ability to type in a waypoint and spit out an airspeed to fly or an airspeed carrot that's telling you speed up or slow down. Like, I wasn't having to work that hard. You're having to work. The only other experience I have with a really challenging heritage flight flyover was with McKenna up in New York, uh, where we had a 25 mile run in, which is, it, it was very challenging because the radios didn't work that far out. So you're pushing, you can't maneuver left or right. You can't do a 360, but can you kind of talk to like, can you make any big time adjustments? What's like your max plus or minus once you turn in and are flying towards the stadium? You know, I don't have any numbers to speak of, for instance, but um, like in Minneapolis, remember, we came out of the hold and we didn't go right to the stadium because we were just a little bit ahead. So we took a little angle and then I had street map dialed up on my iPhone for the stadium there. And it was giving me time to station. And uh, so I just kind of, you know, played that turn a little bit and we just ate up a few more seconds and it worked out. But this route, I don't know if you've seen it, you know, it's got us flying... Uh, from the hold to another hold position over Santa Monica, then a 90 degree turn, oh, but it's a corridor we're supposed to stay in. So hopefully we'll have enough room to maybe cut a corner or extend a turn. Maybe, you know, I, I'm not sure, but uh, I'm going to be uh, blaming it all on bull because I'm going <laughs> to rely on him because he's got all that uh, cool stuff in there yeah. along with my street map, you know, maybe we'll pull it off. <laughs> Uh, just, just being creative. That's what it takes when it comes down to this stuff, which is, you know, it's well, amazing when you're, it, <laughs> you're talking about Isn't that this. what we're trained to do though? Isn't yeah. that what we do as, as an American? You know, you, you got to think on your feet, got to figure out how to get it done. Make it, make it happen. That is, that is the That's name right. of the game. Let's talk a little yeah. bit about, you're flying Wee Willie this weekend, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about Wee Willie, the history with that plane specifically? Well, uh, I tell you what, uh, Wee Willie is a combo airplane. Um, it was uh, part of a, a, well, we put it together from a lot of crash bits, including, uh, you know, the Red Baron racer that I crashed in Reno back in 1979. But uh, it, um, it, it's, uh, you know, it was built as a fighter and all, all the parts it really are, um, yeah, one wing is off of one crash, another wing's off another crash. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much a composite airplane, but the heart of it is that uh, 7715 Charlie, which which started life uh, uh, as you know after the military, a civilian airplane up in Seattle, and participated in the Reno Air Races, and it uh, was won the Reno races three times. Uh, but uh, 1979, uh, I had a, an engine failure, couldn't make the uh, the runway, and ended up landing short in a explosion, and. Uh, 
Air, airplane was really little bits and pieces, but that's the heart and soul of that airplane. Uh, the same people that, uh, you know, as a, as our race crew, you know, we're the same guys at Chino and we put it all together and it's, uh, it flies great. We're really lucky. We, we rebuilt it first flew in 84 and it's been flying ever since. Uh, I think the last time I counted, we had 28 different people have flown it. So it's been very reliable and it's a, it's, it's a fast Mustang. It's, it's one of those, uh, you talk to guys who fly a lot of different Mustangs and, you know, they're all a little different. And uh, this one just uh, feels like a, a very comfortable machine when you're flying it. So I'm real happy with it. Well, it's incredible to see <clears throat> for the listeners. I mean, to me, it's amazing that these planes are still flying, but you do a lot of rebuilding. As mentioned, you rebuilt We Willie. That is your job, rebuilding airplanes. But it's not uncommon to see you hopping out at F-86 and then hopping into a P-38, and then hopping into a P-51. Can you talk to me a little bit about flying those different airplanes, and how like, how do you manage it? I'm just simple-minded. Like, I got I can only do one thing, but you're doing so many different things, and you're spanning different eras of airplanes. <clears throat> a little bit of experience. Oh, well, that, that's really it. And, you know, um, um, I've had the fortunate, uh, just, just the fortune of uh, – opportunities and uh, you know i first actually first flew a mustang when i was i think it was 20 19 or 20 and uh then it was like a hellcat of course we flew a t6 and all the trainers and every cessna you know we used to wash airplanes at the airport every cessna piper we get our hands on and something there was a twin beach there we got to fly once in a while but it's just experience and and i maybe the the biggest thing uh, to me is important to understand how systems work how airplanes work and, and you can relate to anybody can relate to that. Your comfort level goes way up when you, you know what a switch does or how a hydraulic system yeah. works, you know, flying's pretty easy, as you know, I yeah. mean, you know, it, uh, you get the right, I, I was really lucky as a young man too, um, to have an air force guy really kind of kept track of us after, you know, a lot of people, uh, I've seen, you know, they'll get checked on a plane and they're off on their own. And sometimes they get in trouble. Sometimes they don't, but, we had the, uh, we had some good supervision for a lot of years and that really, I think helped. And, you know, we had good, good training and, uh, a lot of luck too. So what got you into the restoration of these warbirds? Well, um, I'm a hands-on guy, you know, I, uh, as a teenager, I, I, for one thing, I've been around Plains of Fame Museum <laughs> since I was seven, believe it or not. And, um, you know, as a, a young man, you, you're inspired by mechanical things. I mean, first vehicle I drove was the airport tug, you know, a forklift and you just kind of go from there, you know, and, uh, you know, to me, it's, uh, it's not rocket science. Let's put it that way. So, um, that, you know, I have flown airplanes that require a lot of training. Like first time I flew an F5, by the way, I got checked down an F5 for and flew for 20, 25 hours. That awesome. was pretty unique airplane. Yeah. I'd flown, uh, you know, I flew in the F-86 and the T-33 and an at, and it still was a, a different animal. And it took a couple of flights before I felt comfortable in that thing. But, uh, you know, every airplane's a little different, but they're all kind of the same too. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that is true. Look, Inherently up, up is good. Down is bad. Usually, you know, trees, trees, sure. blue, you know, but there's a lot you to know, it. And rain, rain, another thing to consider, you know, is that, my mission is not a complicated mission with the airplane. You know, when you get checked on the plane, it's not about just taking off and landing and flying formation air shows. I mean, you're doing a mission, you know, and I can't, 
I can relate to that. And that's, you know, that's what the complexity of uh, being efficient and doing what you're supposed to do, but physically taking off and landing, yeah, you can do that with your eyes closed. <laughs> well, I, th there, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, the F-16 was designed to be an easy plane to fly. And I mean, most planes now, that's what it's designed to do, be, be easy to fly. Modern fighters, easy to fly, so you can focus on the missionized piece of it, of employing the weapons and doing that thing. But there's still something about at least uh, you know, the knowledge of the systems and things like that that go into all the different planes you fly. That's really impressive. So I, I know you're not well, underselling well, thanks. it. Thanks. It's, 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 yeah, thanks. If, you know, thanks for the compliment, but I'm not the only one. I have a lot of my friends are just awesome. You know, they yeah. do a lot of stuff, the same things I do. And I've just had a lot of great opportunities. Yeah. Well, right time, right place. That's that's a lot of life, exactly. you know. But being available and first one to the phone sometimes it rings. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why I got in the movie business. The phone rang at the shop, and uh, I did. My buddy's right next to me, but I grabbed the phone and uh, it was a job to work on that Bob Black Sheep TV show. If he grabbed the phone, then he would have got the job probably. <laughs> but that's how it kind of works. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, that's incredible. And then you know you happen to be living there in in SoCal. So, I mean, yeah. it is convenient for the fly this flyover, um, but also you're kind of wrapping up your time with the Air Force Heritage Flight Foundation, as I hear. Yes, yeah. Um, I've been operating under waivers for the last five years, you know, um, I, and uh, this year it was just time to move on. So, uh, believe me, it was a very exciting part. It's always great to have a mission and uh, flying with some of the greatest pilots I've ever met in my life. You know, you're included in that list, by the way. and. Uh, it's always been exciting, you know, being part of the air show and, and, uh, the training scenarios we do, um, it's been a real honor, but, uh, everything comes to an end and I'm satisfied where we are. Just, uh, you know, our goal is to, uh, pull this one off and, uh, I'm not going off in the sunset though. I mean, I'm not done. I'm still lots going on in my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, are you still the president of planes of fame, right? Right, exactly. You got and, the restoration uh, business going on. I'm sure you're still doing movies. Yeah. You got a lot. Yeah, we did a lot of that. And, of course, my son uh, is going to replace me, so to speak. So they don't even have to change any of the print on the flyers because <laughs> he's Steve Hinton. But uh, he's, I uh, tell you what, he's the 2.0 version. I mean, uh, you you know about Steve-O's racing career. Yeah. And uh, he's a very smart, talented guy. Of course, he's my boy. I'll brag about him. But he is you know, he really is conscious and smart and, and, uh, uh, he'll, he'll carry on and improve things as we go. So, I mean, he's also a dad now, so he's going to get that, uh, yeah. part of it, you know, that'll, uh, wise him up a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. So you were the youngest person to win Reno is it, and then yep. Steve-O, your I, son beat yeah, you. I, yeah. I was 26 when I won and, uh, Steve was 22. Yeah, so I mean, and, he, he smoked you. <laughs> yeah, well, when I when I won, we, you know, we won Reno, and then we went and did one Mojave twice because it had him uh, in one year period had two races, and won the Miami Air races, and then uh, we set the world speed record all in one year. Gosh. So that you know that one year, and I got hired by Western Airlines in the middle of that too, and and uh, that was a you know a fabulous year. Um, Steve, when he won, he won five races in a row every year for five in a row and uh lost another one won another one and then lost another one so his record is uh you know he, he's tied for the uh, most winning uh unlimited racer 
uh, at Reno, you know, it, he has the core, the qualifying lap speed, 499 miles an hour. Wow. So, you know, back, back in my day, we were four forties kind of, yeah. it's a little different race course. You know, it's like anything you can't judge modern times, you know, r- racing cars or whatever yeah. versus old times. Not just, even though it is more advanced, it's still, you know, it's a different, uh, race course and all, but, uh, no, he's done really well. Really proud of him. It's incredible. Well, having been out in Reno and been underneath the pylon, if people haven't done that, that's uh that's an incredible experience. Those, I mean, the planes are moving. Uh, to, oh yeah. To, to say the oh, least. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And you know, what's fun too, through the years, you know, uh, to meet uh, who Gibson and skip home and some of the other military guys that have done all this stuff in their first year there, they're just kind of going whatever, you know, yeah. this is cool. But then, you know, it makes a hair stand up on the back of their head too. You, you know, they have been uh, uh, like Coot Gibson. You know, what I mean, you know, he's flown the shuttle several times, but when he out there, been in the throttle on a Sea Fury, and the engine blows up, and he's got to figure out how to land the thing without hurting himself. And you know, uh, that's a different, a different type of excitement. But it's every bit as uh, <laughs> yeah. critical as anything he's ever done. You know. Well, I mean, when you're at 50 feet going 400 plus miles an hour and your engine explodes, there's not yeah. a lot of great options, uh, you know, at that, at that yeah. point. So it'd be yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, whatever. Can you talk to me the difference between restoring like we Willie, which would say, you know, right now, not a race plane, right? But what is the difference? What goes into building one of these planes that competes, you know, in the limited class at Reno? Well, um, a lot uh you know like if you took we willie right now let's say a stock airplane and and made it like a voodoo like stevo races you know it's uh reduced the size of the the wingspan uh, uh reduce it by about six feet in total total length you put a small cockpit in it you know you 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 reduce any kind of drag you can you put a smaller scoop on it uh, you put wing fillets on it, you know, where it meets the fuselage. And in uh, Voodoo's case, you know, they actually adjusted the fuselage on the wing because at 400 knots, the wing has an X angle of attack, you know, and to make the airplane as small as it can, so they adjust that, then they have to change the tail angle. And uh, really unique thing Voodoo has that that uh, nobody's done is, uh, thanks to a gentleman, Joe Clark, uh, uh, his company, um, Aviation Partners, they laser mapped the airfoil of the Mustang and, uh, and confirmed that it, in certain parts of the wing at about 0.72 Mach, that's where the shock wave grows. And so what they did is they, they uh, on Voodoo, made a modification to the shape of the wing in that area by adding uh, a composite. Um, uh, actually, it's about this tall, if you could imagine, and the trailing edge right, uh, of the wing right before it beats the flap. And that, that uh, in the computer model, brought it up to 0.8 before the shock wave uh, or the, the drag is by the shock wave happens. So, uh, for instance, when Steve set the world speed record with that airplane, his first uh, run, uh, when everything was running, it was 554 miles an hour. <laughs> I know. Um, I was in the T-33 with a camera on it, and I'm doing about 320, 340 knots kind of thing. And he'd shoot by me like a, you know, just like it would <laughs> yeah. when you're going that fast. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and also it comes after while you're modifying things or whatever, and you do the flight testing and it, it turns a, uh, a totally different kind of airplane. 
you know, it's uh, hard to see out of. Um, you also have chemicals in the airplane. You, know, you have water ejection on the engine and your spray bar across the radiator and different, uh, the way the airplane flies, it, 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 they're not really great flying airplanes at all. They're big and heavy until you're going really fast. Where they, you know, when you get them up about 400 knots is where they, they kind of, kind of trim out. But, uh, you know, 90%, I would say, well, 80% of it really is the horsepower the engine can put out. You know, that Merlin is, uh, uh, built to run at 1,490 horsepower is what that, uh, dash seven Merlin would run. That's but incredible. The high, the hybrid Merlin that's in, uh, Voodoo and Strega and, uh, you know, any of those, you know, they're like 3,400 horsepower. Wow. And it is, yeah. And of course, it's a hand grenade you pull a pin out of. You don't know how long it's going to last, but <laughs> there's been some spectacular uh, uh, explosions out there, you know, and yeah. burn, burn pistons or throw a rod out the side. But um, yeah, it's the chances you take. You know, uh, we built an airplane. Um, I was part of the crew that finished the airplane uh, called Tsunami back in the 80s, but that was a special build airplane. And I did all the flights on that. Uh, that was the first plane I'd ever flown that had never flown or the design had never flown. And that was a real handful of an airplane, high wing loading. It was looked like a miniature Mustang, but it had a Merlin engine on it. And we never run won the Reno races with it. We did win a race in Sherman, Texas with it. And uh, we did beat Strega, so that, that kind of was pretty cool. Um, but it was really interesting to, uh, you know, work on that build that thing and uh do all the flights on it and race it at reno for four years so steve any, cool anytime you describe an engine as a hand grenade that you just pulled the pin in um i don't know if it's something i want to fly <laughs> well you know that, that that there's there's something to that and it's not for everybody believe yeah. me it's uh you know you, you fly high performance jets and you know but you, you've got a red line and a max power and the throttle hits a stop and the computer says, that's yeah. it. Well, this is like, you know, to pull a circuit breaker on the computer and, and push it a little more and find out what breaks and push it a little more, find out what breaks, fix it. You know, you're, you're doing that with that and run. And finally, I mean, we're at a stage now where it's just running as much as that supercharger will put out. You know, the engine is designed to run at 61 inches, which is 30 pounds of boost. And now we're running uh, 145 inches, you know, and that's wow. uh, 45, 50 pounds of boost, 50, 60 pounds of boost is what that is. Yeah. Yeah. That's big time, you know, and the fuel is special and the, we're injecting water alcohol in the engines to keep the, the temperatures down for detonation control. You know, the, the whole thing is that uh, the rods are different You know, the pistons are all different. Yeah. That's incre yeah, incredible. Quite a hybrid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, to say the least. And, Those motors, they last yeah. about, I mean, one race weekend. Is that kind of the plan? Well, um, even when they don't blow up, that's that's kind of what you think. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, uh, you know, being involved with the guys who rebuild the engines too, you know, they start out with a good engine and, you you know, you put a few hours on it to make sure it's running good and then you fly it up to Reno and then you do your testing, you do your qualifying. And if nothing breaks, you you play, you race it three races. And then uh, if it does, if it doesn't break, you fly it home, and then you take it out and take it to the overhaul shop, and they take it apart, and they go, "Yeah, this thing's got a thousand hours on it." <laughs> That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Yeah. That's yeah, just wild. Well, uh, yeah. sh shift gears back here to the Super Bowl because I know that's the main event this weekend, and then we'll wrap up. 
Can you talk to me a little bit about the preparation <laughs> that's going into doing the flyover? Well, um, you know, uh, we briefed on the phone a little bit. Uh, of course, the scenario has been designed already. And uh, we've had some conversations about uh, really the issue I had at the beginning was, uh, uh, you know, we're in a class B airspace and we're in a, a high uh, critical environment here where we can't make any mistakes. And uh, um, so I'm real uh, uh, what I'm saying, put a lot of extra effort into making sure we're not famous for the wrong reason. Right. And, um, and another thing too, single engine warbirds over the water is not good for me. So our original departure out of here for me was to take the, the, uh, the flight out of out 15, 25 miles off the coast, all the way around and all the Ooh. way to point dune and at 3000 feet, I just, uh, it's not World War II and it's my airplane and yeah. <laughs> just, I, we, we have to find another way to do it. Unfortunately, it, was, it wasn't an issue because I uh, just explained that I can uh, safely and also uh, legally and uh, least amount of uh, conflict take the inland route, you know, so I'll, I'll launch uh, maybe uh, 10 minutes ahead of the, the jets out of here and I'll go uh, over Fullerton airport. Then I'll go over El Monte airport then over Van Nuys and, or Burbank, Van Nuys, and then down to Point Dune and intercept the, uh, the crew, the group when they're in the orbit. And then once we're all joined in the orbit and then, you know, they'll join on me. And then, uh, uh, we haven't briefed the scenario yet, but, uh, you know, if it's uh, what I'm envisioning, you know, we'll, we'll go on a specified orbit that we know the time frame at a certain speed and through communication on the ground. Hey, we're, we're 15, 18 miles away from the stadium. So it's, it might be the same issue we had when you and I were doing it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, then when they, they give us the time hack, then we'll, uh, extend a downwind or cut a corner or whatever. And, and uh, we're going to be about 280 knots. That's about all we, we can work with. We could slow down a little bit if we're a little fast, but we're not going to, we don't have, uh, at this time, anyway, the ability to like to pull a 360 out there or anything once we've started our turn in. So, um, but it, it's going to work out. Yeah, no, well, and the, um, the, you did bring up an interesting point. Nike and I just kind of touched on it. Uh, I alluded to the air show I did in Miami. I was flying with Gumby, he was in uh, <clears throat> Bum Steer, but they wanted us to hold over the water. Not a spot you really want to be at, you know, 2,000 feet over the water in a Mustang. I really didn't want to be that spot in an F-16, right? I got the get out of jail free card, but I'm not glad. I'm not going to make it back to our runway at that low altitude. So a lot of people who are seeing the flyover, they see the jets and the planes go by and that's it. But can you tell me just a little bit like your thought when it comes to like emergency planning, when you're, you know, looking at this, Hey, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. What are you thinking about as you go out there in a single engine plane? Well, um, through my career, I've had uh, several off airport landings. Of course, a lot of it is kind of planes that fly and they kind of fly in it too. But, um, so I'm, I'm really keen on, uh, keeping an eye on, uh, uh, places that, you know, I've, I've got 12 plus thousand hours, so it doesn't happen very often, but it, you know, it could happen anytime. Yeah. So a single engine over heavily densely populated areas, um, we're in a hold that is alongside the beach. That's, that's a good spot. And as we turn in, 
Well, our speed is up. So let's say if we just start our approach, we have a problem. Santa Monica Airport's there. And after we make our turn towards the stadium, um, LAX is there. And uh, after, we, after we pass the stadium, Hawthorne Airport is there. And then as we head towards past Palos Verdes, there's Torrance. So in my case, when I have a 14 to 1 glide ratio, at 285 knots, I could make 10 miles without, without a problem. Uh, where the I think the F-16 is probably going to glide about 285 feet, probably yeah. 285 more, knots, right? It's more of a brick. And people would always ask you, like, what do you yeah. do on these cross-country flights? What are you thinking about? I'm like, I'm always thinking about my engine quitting. That's yeah. I'm always looking for the nearest piece of concrete because I'm waiting for the exactly. motor to call off. I'm waiting for you know just something weird to happen, oil, oil pump blowout, and then it's going to be a bad day because yeah, you do it a lot, and it's a very rare occurrence. But you got to be ready because it could happen at any it, point. It can happen, yeah. Mm. But I think in uh, in our case uh, uh, with our ACC, is uh, they've looked at this and and they're they're comfortable. The guys are all comfortable with it. Everybody's going to be. You know, we're going to be aware of it, but we do have a plan that will prevent us from, you know, uh, endangering anybody on the ground. Yeah, no, it's 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 part of, uh, I would say it's not part of doing business, right? But it's mis- or risk mitigation. You're always looking at it, right, and making adjustments. Right. Just like you mentioned, going out over the water 15 miles doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, so... Right. I mean, if it was a war going on or if there was yeah. <laughs> a reason to do it, I'd say, yeah, otherwise, yeah, man, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no point to buy this, you know, this additional yeah. risk for no reason whatsoever. So exactly right. Yeah. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you taking the time just to kind of talk through a little bit. I'm excited to watch the flyover. I'm slightly jealous because I think uh, you're not going to be as cold as we were in 2018 <laughs> flying over Minneapolis. Yeah. I'm not going to wear a jacket this time instead of long underwear and a sweater and a jacket. Yeah, that was, I'd never been in a, in that environment in that kind of airplane before. I don't think I've ever been in that environment where I've been in Idaho flying, you know, a beaver or something, yeah. but you just got a big jacket and you got a nice teeter. But uh, yeah, that was a, uh, that was very trying. And that's part of the excitement though. That was a good one. It, it made for it some memories. Great. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, I got to tell you too, it's always been great watching you fly and i was always impressed you know your attitude and uh you know you've got a lot going for yourself and, and uh you know it makes makes me proud to have been a part of your career too so well, thank you i appreciate it kind words again i know you have forgotten more about aviation than i'll ever know and so it's humbling well, it was fun to fly with you uh it, yeah, it's, thanks. it's fun to see you do what you do best and i'm excited to, again I wish I could do the Super Bowl flyer with you again. And I think it'd be a little less, uh, a little less cold, like I mentioned. Because again, I've never been that cold <laughs> in my entire life, and I'm a Georgia I know, boy. Crazy, I don't, yeah. I don't do cold. Uh, yeah, they, they, I, they, you know, I was in a heated hangar, and I was all strapped in with a jacket on. They opened the door. <laughs> I had the canopy closed. Even push outside, start it up. Yeah, and the coolant door on a Mustang is air cooled. The radi- it's a radiator like a car, and the coolant door regulates the air. So it was all the way closed to warm up. And uh, it has a, an indicator in the cockpit, so you know where the door runs. Yeah. And it never came off a of close the whole time, even on takeoff and climb out. It was shut tight. That <laughs> just, yeah. So that's how cold it was outside. Yeah. Yeah. The the other aspect Saturday I flew because I had a fam flight and it was snowing in Minneapolis, and I had a de ice. First time I've ever been de iced. And we do have a base in Misawa, Japan, that gets snow, but usually, uh-huh. like if it's snowing, you're not flying. And I actually yeah. was talking to my old boss, who's a weapons school instructor, 
really sharp guy. And I was like, yeah, and I get de-ice. He's like, we can get de-ice in F-16. I'm like, yeah, we have a checklist for it. You know, I had to bust out the checklist. <laughs> I talked to some buddies yeah. who'd been in Masao. I'm like, I had to figure this thing out because it was so cold. Yeah, Ooh. that's cool. But yeah, yeah. so looking forward to this weekend. Thanks for everything you do. Um, I, you too. A really great, I mean, obviously an incredible run with Heritage Flight. I know you're still, you got a lot of other things going on. But it's, it's, going on. it's cool to see kind of the culmination of the heritage flight, I think, with the Super Bowl weekend, because that's a relatively big event. So looking yeah, forward to huge. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but thanks. It's a pleasure seeing you. And uh, and I look at this old guy on the screen, too. It was like, who the hell is that? But, <laughs> but it happens like that, I'm telling you. Uh, I, used to be, I used to be the junior member of all the Warbird groups, really, now. And <laughs> I'm one of the only few survivors anymore, you know, that still do it. But uh, Good problems to have. Yeah, I guess that's not a problem. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Rain. <laughs> thanks, cool. Steve. Take care. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. We'll just, just go from there if you're good with it. Yeah, Bob, you were there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, Nike, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Happy to have you on here and uh, looking forward to chatting a little bit about the Super Bowl and your experience with it and what you're getting ready to do. No, I appreciate that, my friend. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's, you know, another Super Bowl, another time. Yeah, so with that being said, we, you say another Super Bowl, another time. Um, can you tell everyone what it is you do here? What What are you teeing up? Uh, because you got a lot of responsibilities on your shoulders this com- upcoming weekend. Not that you don't have it normally, but this weekend in particular. That's an interesting question. I'm not sure anybody anywhere knows what I do here, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I kind of fell into the greatest job in the Air Force that I didn't even know existed. So uh, being the chief of aerial events, uh, we're responsible, our office, the team is responsible for all the Air Force flyovers in the National Capital Region, which uh, makes us uniquely postured to be uh, the resident experts on flyover timing. Uh, no offense to Thunderbirds who may be listening, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we, we do this a lot for uh, Arlington National Cemetery flyovers, which is very humbling and a great honor. And, uh, you know, in the, in the former uh, president with his 4th of July flyovers and, you know, we get a lot of experience. So never in my deepest thoughts when I was sitting in Korea six years ago, did I think that I would be in a job where I would get to go to the Super Bowl and here I am at my third one. So um, I, I take the responsibility seriously. Everybody, oh, you're going to the Super Bowl. You're getting all the fun. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't downplay that but at the same time uh, it's an awful lot of work you know f- with our pa partners and whatever else with the incentive flights we do and and trying to get that recruiting and and public affairs type message out to people you know it's as you're aware yeah. it's an awful lot of long days not necessarily in the uh, best environments although i'm in southern california right now so we're good yeah um <laughs> and then uh, a, a lot of pressure to hit home of the brave yeah and that's one thing. It is a really good deal, but I'm, you know, you and I, the 2018 flyover at the Super Bowl. I mean, I remember that it was so busy leading up to it. One, I mean, you're talking the buildup a month out, and this first time doing Heritage Flight, I think it was 2018 for the Super Bowl, getting waivers to fly lower. There, there's a lot that's happening coordination wise before the Jets even get there. I mean, simple stuff, even getting hotel rooms. Turns out that can be a challenge when you're going to a city that's having a Super Bowl. So weird. Yeah, strange. So there's a lot that goes into it. 
let alone when it comes down to flying over. So I'll, I'll kind of jump back to my experience 2018. We did a practice on Friday. There's a lot that goes into the, into that aspect. We had some hurdles to overcome. The fact that the, the stadium has RF blocking glass and it was Weird. negative 15 outside. Simple stuff like being able to communicate is not always a guarantee. And then before I hit record here, we're kind of talking about the, the national anthem. And apparently people are betting on the national anthem, who's singing it, how long it's going to last, over-unders. But hitting that home with a brave, you're you're balancing in a lot of variables and a lot of factors that go into it. So when it comes down to it, what, what aspect do you think is the toughest part when it comes to planning and putting all this together? That's kind of a tough question, honestly, because there are so many parts that go into putting it together. You know, obviously, as a demo guy, you were aware that we're looking for that public outreach. And so making sure that we're not just bringing jets up here to, oh, look, we're flying somewhere else. You know, we that is crucial to our job. So working with our partners, making sure that we're flying the right people, inviting the right people out so that we can get that message out to somebody who may not have that influence around them. You know, that's a huge part. Um, going to cities that aren't necessarily used to uh, flyovers or military traffic in general, uh, or it's very scripted, uh, you know, in, in Minneapolis, uh, they have the guard unit there, but not a whole lot of military flying going on uh, out here. <clears throat> you know, they, they have the, the army guard here, uh, but SoFi Stadium is two miles off the departure end of LAX. And so working with our F... <laughs> Yeah, working with our FAA representatives uh, and and trying to get them to a point where we're not being detrimental to that civilian traffic, we're not impacting them, we're being good good friends, good neighbors, um, but still trying to achieve what we're trying to achieve. So, obviously, there are months worth of planning. You know, the most stressful part is probably the easiest part, and you know that's the hour, thirty minutes, ten minutes leading up to the flyover itself. Uh, and and I just yeah, honestly, this isn't to stroke your ego or anybody else's who may be listening, but uh, military in general, but my, I call them my demo pilots, but my demo pilots, like just consummate professionals. And I wouldn't want to be doing this with anybody else. Uh, no lack of love. Last year, we had great success with uh, Global Strike and, and, and the bomber pilots really came through. But knowing you guys and, and, and working with you guys and knowing the professionals you are, I, I can't imagine it being more stressful uh, yeah. <laughs> in that last 10 minutes, but at the same time, that that's one thing that I don't have to worry about because I know you're going to make it happen. What? So you mentioned the, you know, the departure in LAX. I did one flyover in Atlanta pre-demo days um, over the Georgia Tech Stadium, and it was about five miles from the rival or departure corridor from Hartsfield-Jackson. Obviously coordinating with Tracon here in Atlanta, they were rather concerned with two jets going 350 knots pointed right at at the arrival or departure corridor. Are you working through some of that or is it a non-factor at LAX? How's that been? <laughs> it's definitely not a non-factor. So <laughs> the, uh, you know, LAX, I believe is the third busiest airport in the United States, maybe in the world. Um, and they have arrivals every how, you know, 30 seconds, whatever departures every 30 seconds. And so they have an operation going on. And again, trying to be good partners, good friends, uh, we don't want the we don't want Americans impacted by us trying to do our job 
which is trying to put on a show for them, you know, so right. it's kind of a double-edged sword there. Um, but you, you've got the single engine aircraft, you've got the F-16, the F-35 and the, and the Mustang, and we want to keep people safe as well. So having the ability for them to bail out should, God forbid, they have engine problems or, or whatever else. Uh, actually working with LAX to make sure the runways are clear because that's one of our emergency landing areas. So we realize that this takes a Herculean effort on everybody's part, not just on the military. Uh, and, you know, a whole lot of meetings, a whole lot of hours in meetings, but our FAA partners have been outstanding and working with us for something that is, uh, quite frankly, not something they're concerned about because they're concerned about the safety and, and getting the airplanes in and out on time. Um, but they have been phenomenal in working with us to try to make sure that we can get what we want and we have minimal impact to what they're doing. And it's those type details that most people don't realize. And again, I'll go back to my demo days flying in Miami and actually holding behind the crowd, but with Miami International off my right or left shoulder, depending on you know, the turn, but off to the west. You know, that was one, if the engine quit, that's where I'm hopping into. And it was typically uh, an eastbound flows, which means I'm opposite direction. But coordinating and talking about that with, you know, the air boss and then air traffic control who are in the briefing so that everyone gets on the same page is one of those, like, details that hopefully you never have to use. But if you have to use it, you don't want to be the wrecking ball that just shows up unannounced. It's still going to be a wrecking ball that gets thrown in there. But because I imagine they're not stopping arrivals or departures for this flyover, correct? Well, so the way we do our teams uh, is normally we have three individuals. This time we actually have four. So uh, the uh, individual in charge of the flyover, he's the one talking on the radio. He's the overall team lead. Uh, but then we also have a representative who is with the production company and or down on the field, depending on what we're doing, to work the timing piece. The, that's what that person is in charge of as far as we're ahead, we're behind, whatever else. And then we actually put a individual in the control facility um, and we're all on a telephone call at the same time so that if things change, uh, the person in the control facility, he's sitting behind the controller. He doesn't talk on the radio, but he can take the airplane speak and put it into FAA speak uh, as far as making sure that we're all on the same page and we don't launch somebody out right when the formation's coming across. Uh, we actually have a fourth individual just because of the busy airspace and because of uh, our desire to make sure that this is perfect who's going to be in the tower uh, right up near the hold point so that that individual can also relay information should we lose comms or whatever. And, you know, you go into the things, the things you don't think about. Um, uh, hopefully we see something different this year, but uh, we ran into it last year. Uh, even with the COVID restrictions, we're all trying to be on the same telephone call and the cell towers are overwhelmed because not only do you have the people in the stadium, but you have the people outside the stadium wanting to, to enjoy the party and whatever else. <clears throat> and that was a significant impact to us last year because I could talk to one individual on the on the cell phone, but the other individual I had to use one of our land mobile radios. And so in addition to talking the airplanes, I was talking playing telephone game between those people as we're trying to make sure that the information flows. So it, it's really, you know, not to belittle it or belittle them, but it, it's almost a ballet. It's, it's an art as far as balancing 
where you're putting your time, how you're figuring out what the timing is, talking to the airplanes, talking to your team. And if, if I didn't have the great team around me, then none of this would be possible. The, I mean, it's, it, yeah, obviously it is a team effort to make all this happen. And there's, there's so many moving pieces. Again, it's kind of interesting. You bring up the fact, like you don't really think about it, but on the practice days, you're not going to have a hundred thousand people around the stadium or whatever it might be. But when they all show up and it crushes the cell, the cell network, now it's how do we communicate? How do we do that on the fly? Those type things are always the problems that pop up. And again, this is not combat or anything like that, but you're trying to be over the stadium at the right time. And so with that, when this, talk to me how this all kind of kicks off, because like you mentioned, there's someone down talking to the NFL or the TV person because the timing is set off their script. But at some point, the ship has sailed. Can you kind of talk to me? Yeah, how does it, how does it begin? How are you relaying that? When are you telling the, the the formation to go? And then when is there no more change? Well, so it really depends on the formation. <clears throat> so when you're talking about an all-jet formation like the Thunderbirds do or whatever, they prefer a longer run-in because they have a very large window of slowdown speed up. So as those changes are happening, they can be very precise in that. When you're talking about the heritage flight, you know, you've got the, the P-51 that has a max speed. Uh, and, and again, I'm not quoting numbers or whatever, but his ability to accelerate, you know, about 300 miles per hour is the best he can do. Uh, and when you're talking about, uh, and again, I don't know anybody, anybody's slow speed numbers exactly, but when you're talking about trying to fly in formation and whatever, if you get in the low 200s for our modern fighters, except the A-10. Right. Gator um, can slow it, down it becomes, to like 80 knots, I think. And <laughs> that's right. But it, it, it becomes, and dude, you were the pilot. You saw it, but it becomes very uncomfortable as you hit those high angles of attack and whatever else. So we don't have the big window to be able to adjust over a long term. So I've found when you're talking about heritage flight specifically, the shorter run in is desired and you, you start, it's, it funnels in. So uh, for example, last year uh, in Tampa, we had the entire run up show of what was supposed to happen, but we had three bombers that take three minutes to do a 360. I mean, it's, we're not talking a short amount of time to turn these guys around. It's similar to a heritage flight. They're yeah. you know a little more maneuverable, but similar. Um, and uh, there was a piece of the production that was thrown in that we were not aware of. Um, so from the point where we were told nothing is going to change, it actually changed twice. So they threw in a segment we weren't aware of, which pushed us to the right about three minutes. And then what they showed in the stadium vice what they showed on TV was different as they course corrected trying to get back on time. So President Biden's uh, minute of silence was a minute in the stadium, but it turned into about five seconds on TV. So in the last 10 minutes, we went from on time and everything's according to the run of show within a second or two to three minutes late, but we didn't know that because they hadn't gone to commercial yet to 45 seconds earlier than that three minutes late. And so, it, like I said, it becomes very nerve wracking. Um, yeah. <laughs> but to, to, to finish answering your question, uh, once the anthem starts, and again, you, you know, the, the singer for the anthem is going to do what they're going to do. And we 
try to stress that if you want the flower perfect, we need you to do it the same way, same way. But um, we do a lot of study on what that performer has done on the anthem before, if we can find it on YouTube or whatever else. Um, and we take the practice and we apply that. So I actually look at all the stanzas so that once that run-in has started, and again, you can speak better the, to this than I can, but the performers don't care what the time over the stadium is. They care about how much time left to go. And you can use what is available in the aircraft to see if you're early or late. And and quite frankly, it's not science at that point. It's, it's art. Uh, you got to do that pilot stuff, right? Yep. And so you got to slow down a little bit. You got to speed up a little bit because you're a second or two. 10 seconds, got to slow down a lot, speed up a lot. Um, so when you're talking about throughout the anthem, I have done my best to know where those stanzas are. And then I'm just going to feed that information to the pilot. So when they say streaming, and I don't even have it in front of me, but you know, 45 seconds when they say free, you know, you got 10 seconds left. And so to just give that fine, fine detail information, and then trust your pilots uh, and fortunately knock on wood, you know, third time's a charm. So yeah. hopefully it stays that way, but uh, two for two, I've worked with some of the most amazing air crews out there and they have taken good care of me. And uh, you know, I'm not the face of this, but made me look very good. It's, you know, I think doing flyovers with warbirds are, it's incredibly challenging because you alluded to it. If you got the Thunderbirds or the blue angels and all jet, you know, formation or similar aircraft, right? You can slow down together. You can speed up together. You're used or maneuvering together. But when you throw in a Mustang, not to mention this year is a little bit special. I'll let you talk about that here in a minute. But when you throw a lot of different types of aircraft together, everyone handles a little bit differently. And again, you know, to pick on Gator in the A-10, you know, he'll just get left behind. But everyone's working really hard to stay there in formation. And so once you turn in and point, especially with a P-51 out front, I think the ship's kind of sailed. Like you can make up a few seconds here or there. In a jet aircraft, you can make up a little bit more. You can really slow down and speed back up. But that is one of the most difficult, I think, things to do is fly on time, over the point, heritage flight, flyover, hands down. And then you're doing it at the biggest sporting event in the world. So no pressure whatsoever. Well, you're going to bring it up. So I'll just talk about the elephant in the room. So Indy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you and Shiv saved me at Indy, uh, despite the uh, little bit of trouble I got into at the FAA. But, uh, you know, I, I do everything I can ahead of time to try to make sure that we have that timing perfect. And uh, I have had a fairly su successful track record. And that's that's not because of me, that's because of the team, not only the pilots, but my guys in Tracon, my guys on the ground. Uh, Indy 500 practice, I don't know if you remember, uh, but it was pouring rain. Uh, and that doesn't matter to me. I put on my raincoat and I got soaked and it is what it is, right? But uh, the uh, color guard, didn't show up. The anthem singer didn't show up. And so uh, I, I think for the color guard, we had one person out there without a rifle pretending to like lock and load a rifle and pull the trigger and yeah. whatever. So, okay, that's the timing. Uh, I don't think the, uh, the pastor, the priest was there either who gave the invocation. So we had a whole lot of unknowns, but we had a whole lot of promises. Nope. It takes this long. It takes this long, whatever else. And we had the P40 out in front. So uh, with the P-51, 
it's not a jet airplane by any means, but it is the closest Warbird besides the F-86 maybe that we have to the same speeds, the same maneuverability and whatever else. The P-40 just didn't have it. Nope. Um, and so, you know, that was a big miss. And and I, I still wear that. Like, it, I think about it. Um, well, it, it happens. It's aviation, but you don't want it to happen. Uh, you guys racing around the track kind of save the day and I'll take DAS chewing I got from the FAA. <laughs> so. Well, and for those of you who are listening who don't know, so the Indy 500 flyover 2019, P40, P51, me and the F16, and then Shiv and the A10. And we're running in, and I think it, it, we turned in on time, and then there was an adjustment of like 20 seconds, 25 seconds. And I think my exact words to Shiv were like, well, that's not good. Because I said in our uniform frequency, <laughs> just me and Shiv, uh, you know, the Mustangs and the Mustang and, or, you know, Stuart and um, Jimmy, I don't think heard that. But Stuart did his best, like did this big Hayaka Esther, and I got the video of it. And I mean, it was all we could do to try and slow down and make up. But it's like once, you know, if you're in eight miles out from the point and you turn in again with a warbird out front, especially a P40, like when you turn in point, that's it. Like you can do a couple seconds either side of it, but I'll be honest, racing the track, that was a highlight. So <laughs> I know that <laughs> I got the FA kind of spun up, but it was pretty awesome. I think. Yeah, it worked out. <laughs> so, and that's what I was saying is these flyovers, there, there's so many variables that go into it. Um, you know, it, it's from, you know, how long is the national anthem singer going to sing? Is the preacher going to go long? Is there something the NFL is going to do? Are they going to give out some scholarship, right? And that, that goes 12 seconds over all that stuff ripples all the way down the line. And it has a big impact for the guys who are doing the, the flyover there. So, and you're the belly button. You're the guy who's making it all happen and making those adjustments. And if you don't get the information, the formation is not going to get the information. It's a challenge. There's a little bit of stress. I'll be honest. The, the Super Bowl flyover that I did um, after the Friday practice, I was like, if, if we don't hit this, I'm just going to turn out West into the sunset and punch. Like I'm not going back. There's no way I can face it. So <laughs> there's a little bit of, I pressure. heard you and Satan talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there, there's there, you know, there was threat. And for that one, so Steve Hen legend, who uh, we're going to have on the podcast to talk about this as well. He's leading the formation. He's forgotten more about aviation than I've ever known. He, you know, he's out in a P 51. He doesn't have all the fancy goo and, you know, technology that all the modern fighters have. I think flying a, doing a flyover in F-16 is pretty easy. You put the point in, it tells you how fast to fly you go. He's doing real pilotage um, and, yeah. and earning his keep. And he can't be wrong. Again, he can't make up that time by plugging in afterburner or slowing way down. But I remember, you know, flying in formation, just holding north of the point, And you're trying to do the best, right? Because it's not perfect when you're perpendicular to the run in in the F-16 or probably any fighter for that matter. So you're kind of doing like, all right, a 90 degree turn is going to take me, you know, 20 seconds if I'm at 300 knots, not Ging it up. So you're having to do some addition and some subtraction, which I'm not good at, but doing that, we turned in and I was like, Oh, we're eight seconds late. There's no way we're going to make it happen. And we made it up and life was good and grand. And you know, I, I got to go back home and land and, and not have to turn out to the West and punch. Well, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure I've shared this with you, but in case I haven't, I, again, the environmentals. So as cold as it was in Minneapolis, uh, you know, wanting to have a very clear vision of time, you know, I have a really nice watch, but I got to look at where Mickey's hands are and whatever else. So I actually had my phone 
sitting in front of me with GPS time displayed so that I could pass you updates. You can punch them into the upfront controller very easily and whatever. And I think about 10 seconds prior to your actual push time, which I was going to echo, you guys were doing the pilot stuff, right? And it was on you, but I had given you updates to that point. And about 10 seconds prior to that, my phone said, nope, too cold. And it just shut down. I had like 80% battery. The phone was fine. It was just so cold that my phone just turned off. And by the time I was like, what just happened? And then I looked down at my wrist. And I'm like, what is Mickey's hand really pointing at? And whatever else. I don't think I got on the radio until about 20 seconds after you were supposed to push. So even though I could kind of see you guys up there in the hold because you were so close, like I'm freaking out at this point. Like I, I told you to push late. The world's coming to an end. And at least you have the option of ejecting. I'm, yeah. I'm going to have to jump off a, off the stadium ledge or something. Right. Um, and then you guys nailed it. And and that just goes back to the professionalism. You know, we, we ran into the same thing last year with the bombers as far as we have a slip. How long? I have no idea. Like they, they inserted this. Uh, I'm going to give you the best data I can when I have it. But until I have data, there ain't much I can do for you. So just do that pilot stuff. And, you know, it's, it's uh, I talk about the demo teams. I talk about the crews that were hand selected last year, but it really just comes down to being in the military. You know, my time's coming short uh, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, but the, the professionalism and the capability of our crews are second to none. And I just, I said it before, I'll say it again. I fell into the greatest job and it's not just because of the experiences, but the people I've got to deal with. I I wouldn't have it any other way. That's why I'm, that's why this is my last one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, going out on a high note, I I will say you've had a pretty good run. So just, we'll keep it going. You know, Steve, (laughs) it's, I mean, obviously this is your last big hoorah as you get ready to retire from the air force. So congratulations on that. Steve is retiring from heritage flight. There's a lot that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of demo pilots that are moving on, or there's a few demo pilots moving on after this season. So um, it's pretty cool that everyone's kind of culminating in this big event. I think. Yeah, I agree, and I'm just honored and humbled and happy to be here. Yeah. So. Well, before we kind of wrap up, you know, we kind of talk nuts and bolts. I meant to ask who is the who is the person who is the master of ceremonies at this? Is there some NFL person in person that has the the big button that's making it all happen. There's got to be a producer, I would imagine. Yeah, so I talked about working with the FAA. We also work closely with the NFL um, and CBS. So uh, in all of our meetings, uh, we have all these people on the phone. We're all talking to them. So our third team member, we have uh, the person on the radios, the person in air traffic control, and the person in the production booth. So... At some events, you can get them to delay the start of the anthem. So like you said, talk about making up time or whatever. Like, hey, if you just wait two seconds, it's going to be perfect. So just wait, wait. At some events, you can tell the the singer to, to try to hurry or whatever. Super Bowl ain't that. Um, so we have our person in the production booth. Uh, dude's name is Bob, and he's great. But he's pushing the button when he's supposed to. And, and the button runs. Uh, and you know, queuing people or whatever, uh, or the video segment. So, uh, but we are in close contact with him. We have a team member sitting next to him that theoretically, hopefully fingers crossed is on the phone. Um, and we adjust to them. 
So obviously in aviation speak, uh, I imagine most of your uh, listeners uh, are aviation types, but the general, you know, the, the random American doesn't understand that you're not just hovering at the hold point and then instantaneously accelerate to 250, 300 knots or whatever. Um, and so I can remember, and I'll get myself in trouble uh, with our NFL partners, but they're, they're amazing people. But uh, last year I made the comment in front of one of the producers. I said, well, you know, if we're plus or minus two seconds, I mean, that's a shack that, that is right on time brave no matter who you are singing it takes a couple of seconds right so if it's right before the singer says it or right after like we nailed it and no kidding completely deadpan and and she was serious because it's her job and i understand that but she was like no it has to be at this time and and i thought she was kidding i started to kind of chuckle and then i realized she wasn't so i was like okay We'll be there at that time. And then when we were by ourselves, just us girls, I said, if we're plus or minus two seconds, we're good. Right. <laughs> so. You want it, you know, it's like, if you can get there while they're, you know, Braves going on, you got jet rumble. That's the win, you know? Absolutely. And we plan to a time, like right. the time we are given is the time we plan to. And that would be an ideal world. It would happen that way every time. But when two seconds, when you're talking uh, somebody holding out brave or about to hit brave or brave has just fallen off, you are in that window that the flyover is there to, to provide the honors for the anthem. I mean, that's really what it is. Right. And so I give myself that four second window, but at the exact same time, that's a really small window. If you think about it. Yeah. Well, I might argue too, like we can be over the point when we want to be over the point and there might be more slop in, in the singing, right? Like if you go half a second long in this stanza, maybe a little bit short in this stanza, I don't know. I'm not a singer, but yep. again, it, it all, there's so many variables that go into this. So if you are over the stadium, I think plus or minus two seconds, you're going to have the noise that coincides within the national anthem and that's a win. Yep. And, you know, uh, good Lord willing, we're going to have that live stream this year. So hopefully people are going to be able to enjoy that just like they did in Minneapolis. So where, where can people find the live stream? <laughs> I should probably know that. Yeah. You're going to, this, uh, this is part, you got to pitch I be- this. <laughs> I'll put it in the I intro. I believe the live stream's going to be on the air force website. Uh, uh, sorry, not the air force website, the air force Facebook page. Okay. So that live stream is going to be up and uh, they're going to be able to see the formation. It's going to be pointed out of the back of the Mustang. But uh, when we did it in Minneapolis, we, and I hate, I hate selling this because, you know, anything can happen, but we, we hadn't proven the technology. We didn't know we were working with a civilian company that works with the NFL and we just weren't a hundred percent sure it was going to go. So we didn't want to hype it. Right. And then have it fall through and have everybody say what's going on. Uh, I'm still tentative to do that because, uh, you never know what could happen. Uh, but the plan is to have it up on, on Facebook and, and we've got the professionals on the job. So I'm, I'm pretty confident it's going to work. Uh, but you're going to be able to see that formation looking out of the back of that beautiful Mustang. And when the flyover happens, you, you know, you can have your computer, or your, your mobile device sitting right there and be able to watch the, uh, tail aspect and, and prove that it's not just a, uh, TV camera trick, yeah. like no kidding. You're seeing the stadium right after brave goes away. So. 
here's one thing too, before we, again, I said, we're before we wrap up, but that, that led me to remember, um, you know, with the camera, that was something different. We had never live streamed from the Mustang, which was pretty cool, but it required me to fly in a different formation. I had to fly high in the slot, which as a slot pilot, not something you normally do. I mean, you had to bring some real airmanship to the game to be able to see everything that was going on. But this year's formation is a little bit different. What is different about this year's formation and how is that, you know, is that camera, is that going to work, you think? Well, you know, that's something too. So I had my PA partners out there with me and we were actually watching the live stream on the Air Force page or Facebook or whatever it was on. And that's what we were adjusting your formation off of. So I know it was super uncomfortable flying at a slower speed. You're at a higher alpha. So your nose is up and we're telling you to fly higher because we can't see you. So figure it out, do that, <laughs> do that pilot stuff. Right. Um, and, and you nailed it. I mean, you made it look great. Uh, what it's coming down to this time is we're going to try to do the same thing for the live stream, but when it comes down to the formation, we want to fly the, the perfect formation over the stadium. So, uh, the live stream, as far as the view may be better while they're in the hold, you know, in the moments leading up to it, uh, when it comes to the run in itself, if the camera isn't capable, you know, just for the angle or whatever, uh, then it, it doesn't matter at that point. We are looking to fly that professional formation of the stadium. So uh, unlike uh, last time where it was great, we had the Mustang and the two A-10s and, and you back there in the slot uh, as the rock star on TV, right? Just uh, <laughs> camera center. Uh, this time uh, we're actually going to be flying our patch. So uh, I don't know with the video that you can see it there, but, uh, it won't necessarily be in, in this exact same order, but we're going to have the Mustang leading all four of our single ship demo teams. So we're on the F-16, the A-10, the F-22, and the F-35 in formation behind them. And, uh, you know, we have practiced this once, uh, just thinking about the 75th of the Air Force coming up and, and events coming up. Um, but I think most of the pilots doing this haven't done this before. So I... Uh, Definitely the general public, unless you're a DM, uh, Davis Monthan, the one time we practice this, haven't seen it. So, you know, we're always looking for something unique. And and again, no offense to Thunderbirds or whatever, but that's why we had the bomber trifecta last year. And that's why we're trying to do the patch this year. And eventually you run out of stuff, but we're just trying to get something different and unique in front of the American public that if you're not near an air show, if you're not near an air base, you might not see just, you know, to... And again, it's it's about recruiting public outreach, but it's also the entertainment value. And and we want to put something out there that is going to make people want to watch the live feed and the Super Bowl. It's pretty cool. I mean, that's 75 years of air power, you know, from the Mustang all the way to the F-35, you know, from the oldest to the newest, America. which is yeah, <laughs> it's a whole bunch of America, which I think is really, really cool and something that's, again, you don't see. And I I guess the patch, that, that formation was still, uh, was my last year at Heritage. Is that the last time it was practiced? Uh, to my knowledge, that's the only time it was practiced. Yeah. I just remember the photo ship, which was Tuna flying the P-51 around, and he had a, a public <laughs> affairs photographer. I'll have to share some yep. of the photos. Uh, but that guy, he got so violently sick. And after watching Tuna fly as I'm you know going around, I'm like, that looks like the most amazing time if you're flying. It looks like the worst time if you're riding along as a passenger. And turns out it was the yep. worst, the, probably the worst day of that guy's life. <laughs> so, yo yo after yo yo. But 
he hung in there, man. He yeah. got said he got some good photos, but yeah, I wouldn't want to be him either. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's an incredible public affairs and does some great photos and stuff. Following uh, Instagram, but yeah, it, <laughs> not where you want to be riding in the pit of a of a P fifty one with no control. But it is what it is. Nope. Well, Nike, I really appreciate you taking the time just to kind of share, you know, what's happening with the Super Bowl. You're the man, so. I guess everyone can blame you if this goes wrong. People know who to blame. <laughs> yeah, yep, <so>. exactly. <laughs> thanks. You could be the lightning rod, but no, thanks for taking the time. And I'm looking forward to watching the Super Bowl. I'm really looking forward to watching the flyover. Brother, it's an honor. Thanks for having me. And just wish you were here, but we'll talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. The Afterburn Podcast is a proud supporter of Guns Gear Memorial Foundation, helping our veterans and their families when they need it most. To learn more, visit gunsgarren.com slash rain.